Well, thank you, Matthew. And good morning again, Trinity. It is a pleasure to see all of you. Please turn your attention to the chapter 12 of the Gospel of Mark. We find a rare sight in our passage. A parable. It's not often seen in Mark. There are probably two or three of them at most. And even more interestingly, the last verse tells us this parable was understood easily. So I'm going to pray that we understand this text easily and we receive it easily too. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Be with us now as we delve into it. Speak through me. Bring your word clear and honest truth. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. A year and a half ago, I bought my very first house. I was 33. Now, to be fair, after high school, I lived in downtown Chicago for four years. I got married. I then moved to San Diego for four years. And then I lived in an even more expensive neighborhood just outside of New York City for two years. And finally, I moved back to a place where you could actually own a house here in Iowa. Though it took Jessica and I a few more years, even then, to buy a house. All that said, I know what it's like to be a tenant. Including dorm life, I rented for 15 years of my life. And since I know what it's like to rent and what to expect when you rent, I also know what it's like to be a wicked tenant. I didn't beat up or I kill anyone who came to get the rent, but the apartments and condos I rented in were never the nicest. One had a forcible entry, another one had a robbery. The others had owners who just let them sit and rot. My wickedness involved not doing a lot to keep the apartment up to standards. I placed it on the ownership to fix any of the problems, and since they weren't interested in fixing the problems, the apartments and condos went into disrepair quickly. Our passage today speaks about wicked tenants. Not the loud, messy, or uninterested people that I just described myself as. People who you regret living beside, or above, or under. No, truly wicked tenants. That's what we see in our passage. People who bring violence into the location that they live and they work. People who ignore the owner's request, though they are interested in fixing and helping. And people who have no care for anyone besides themselves. Simply put, these wicked tenants will not be receiving their security deposit when they are thrown out of the vineyard. But this is not just a story about wicked tenants, this is a parable by Jesus. Which means there is a deep truth to it. And surprisingly, in this parable there is no question of understanding. The point is clear. The parable is told against the religious leaders of the day as a judgment upon them. So here are the details. I'll lay it out for us, help us understand it, so we can move forward. Just know everything has a correlation. The vineyard, vineyard is considered the kingdom of God, or we could call it the promised land, or we could call it Israel, we could call it the temple, whatever it may be. They are all roughly pointing to the same idea. A land that God has set aside for his people. And this is actually taken, this idea is taken directly from Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41 lays out the promised land, the land that God has given is a vineyard. That's how he's described it in Isaiah 41. Now the owner of the vineyard is God. Easy enough. The tenants 
who are inhabiting the land God has given them are, in general, the people of Israel, but specifically the religious leaders are who are being called out here. The messengers, as well as the son, well, they are just a line of prophets God has sent to Israel, leading all the way up to his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who has now appeared before them. So what we have here in this parable set before us is a description of Israel's history. God called them out of Egypt. He brought them into a land that he prepared. He had a pit dug for the wine press. He set a fence around it. He put a tower up to keep watch. And then he gave them a job. Care for this vineyard. Care for this land. God wanted to see the vineyard flourish. He wanted to see it grow fruit. He wanted to see it blossom out. So when he sent his prophets to check on the vineyard, to bring his word to them, what happens? The prophets are beaten. They're stoned. They're thrown out. Sometimes they're killed by the vineyard, by the vineyard workers. So finally, the owner, God, has sent his son. That's what we have here in front of us. The son is speaking to these vineyard workers, the tenants. God thinks they will respect him, but the tenants, wishing to own the land and all that is in it, kill the son. And the parable ends with the promise. The owner, God, is coming to destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to someone else, to others. That's it. It's a beautiful parable because it is complex in some ways, but it is simple enough to explain in just a few short paragraphs. Christ describes the whole of Israel's history briefly, critiques the religious rulers for their failure to respect God's authority and to respect God's prophets. He also critiques them for their failure to share the fruit of the vineyard. They kept it closed. And then he throws a prophecy of his own death and future judgment in all of Israel. This all happens within this short time. It's a lot going on. But it's all manageable. It's all clear. So what, what do we learn from this? Because if we're going to place it just in history, we're not going to be affected too much. The parable seems straightforward, a critique on the religious rulers of the first century. We can look back throughout history. We can see that the temple and the priesthood were destroyed in 70 AD. Now the vineyard has been given over to others. What we call the church. The church rose up in the first century. Jew and Gentile experiencing the blessing of God and living in the vineyard that God has given them. You could say their loss is our gain. That's what we are right now. As the new tenants, how do we stand up against the religious rulers? That's the question. Can we do what the religious rulers did not? Are we the good tenants? for this vineyard? That question, are we the good tenant for this vineyard? That's the question that will drive our time. Our two points describe what the good tenant does. First, the good tenant cares for the vineyard. Second, the good tenant listens to the owner. We'll find out if any of us are actually good vine dressers at the end of this. We'll begin by seeing how the good tenant cares for the vineyard. So what does it take to make a good vineyard. Vineyards and wine are actually one of the oldest forms of agriculture in the world, so we have uh, a history to fall upon to help guide us. Some of the oldest and most beloved vineyards around the world have very strict rules to care for them. And this is a bit of an odd moment for me. 
See, I used to know next to nothing about vineyards and wine. I grew up in a home that didn't drink alcohol, not because of really any bad experiences or any strict adherence to an interpretation of the Bible. We just didn't do it. After college, after I turned 21, though, I grew in my knowledge of spirits. Some would even say that I became spirit-filled. I knew that was going to get a laugh. My other jokes never do, but that one I knew. It was a good one. It wasn't until seminary when I got a job at a French fine dining restaurant that the world of vineyards and wine opened up to me. It also helped that I was opening up a coffee shop with a friend at the time, so the discovery of depth and flavor in grown berries was on my mind. So here are some brief details we need to know about vineyards. There are a number of different grape varietals all across the world. They range from age to size to flavor and color. And one of the primary means of flavor within the grape is what the French call the terroir. The terroir is a description of the altitude, the soil, the temperature, and even the undergrowth of the vine. That is the grass or any of the plants that grow underneath the vine and in the ground. So there are vineyards that are high up in the mountains with colder air, higher altitudes, that taste vastly different from a vineyard that is down in a valley in a warm temperature with good moisture. Even if they use the same grape varietal, it is grown differently, tastes differently. There are also vineyards that welcome live plants and insects that come and help uh, pollinate the grapevine. This will allow it to flourish with certain flavors and tones. There are also vineyards that enclose the vine. They place up stone walls and place it in bare soil so no other plant is growing around it. Doesn't want any harm or too much change or damage. Again, could be the same grape varietal, but different flavors because of the different work being done on the vine. So here's two examples. There's a vineyard that's placed on the hills of Mount Etna in Sicily. It has a deep, juicy red berry flavor that I tasted just this past week, but finishes with a distinct, deep mineral flavor. Why? Why does it finish with that mineral flavor? Well, because the roots of the vine are growing on an active volcano of Mount Etna with mineral-rich soil. There's a vineyard also on the coast of northwestern France that I tasted about six months ago. It's light, it's sweet, it's a white wine, but the flavor is toned down from its sweetness with a certain brightness, or what we would call saltiness. Why? Because it is planted right next to the sea, and when the sea air blows from west to east, it blows water onto the grapes whenever the wind picks up causing that salinity to add the flavor to the grapes. Now, why am I telling all of this to you? Because I want you to be super impressed with how well I know grapes. No. I'm telling all of this to you because I want you to understand there's a lot of time, there's a lot of effort that's all put into understanding how to care for a vineyard, how to grow a proper grape. It's hard to get a fruitful vineyard. So where does that put us? Where does that put us as the new tenants, so to speak? The previous tenants failed to respect and grow the vineyard well. They failed to share the fruits and killed those who came around asking for it. What does the good tenant do to care for the vineyard? We as Christians are described 
as ones who have the fruit of the Spirit. So are we growing fruit? Will the wine press be used? Is fruit growing in this vineyard? And what must we do? Well, first, we should be watchful of dangers. God establishes a fence and a tower to keep eye over any dangers arising. There may be thieves climbing over the wall. Are we ready to stand against any and all who come to tear down the vineyard? To harm it in any way? Now, the church has pastors and has elders that are called to keep watchful eye over the church, over the sheep, over whatever is going on. And maybe they're placed in the tower, maybe they're walking amongst the vineyard itself, out on the ground looking around, but do they see everything? No. Are they aware of all the things that are going on in this church? No. So we're all called to be mindful of the dangers that may arise in the church. Be it theological, be it practical, be it even in leadership. Are we stepping forward and saying, you know, no, absolutely not. That means having hard conversations with people. Having hard conversations even with the pastor. Saying, you know, this isn't work. This isn't happening. To be sure the vineyard isn't being corrupted, isn't, it means keeping an eye on the weather. To be sure that there isn't something going to be coming our way. By weather, I mean culture. The culture of the day. Do things seem to be turning against it? Are we allowing the rain to fall on our shoulders? Are we keeping an eye on our fruit? So here's another piece of wine knowledge stowed away in my head from my years of study. In the mid to late 1800s, there was a mite. It's called a bug that was called phylloxera. Now, phylloxera wasn't discovered until around 1850. And that phylloxera attacked the roots of every old world vine in the entire world. Six million acres of vineyards died in France alone. Six million acres because of phylloxera. It spread everywhere. It nearly destroyed the entire wine industry in the world. So how were the ancient vineyards saved? Well, the vine keepers dug up the roots and replaced them and spliced them with New World American roots from California. Because nearly every other vineyard could not survive the phylloxera, but the hardened American vines somehow could. It's probably a weird metaphor there, but I'm not going to take it too far. All the same, nearly every vineyard alive today is rooted off of California roots. Shocking. But when we are taking care of the vineyard, when we are thinking about dangers that are coming around, are we mindful of the potential dangers at the roots of us? Not just thieves and wolves coming to take in, not random plants that are planted to, to grip us and tear us down. There are bugs so small we can't even see that are digging at our roots. Are they coming to destroy the vines? We're called to be watchful and check things closely, to have a watchful eye, to have vision that sees things that we may not be able to see when you're standing in a tower. You have to dig down and see, is this really what's happening? The vine keepers didn't know what was killing off the vineyards until they looked at the roots, until they dug down. The very foundation. So we need to be sure our church is standing strong on a foundation. Second, do we cultivate the vineyard? Do we allow the fruit to flourish? Right? Meaning, do we ground ourselves in the word of God? That's the call. Do we pray? Do we expect fruit? 
Growth and fruit are an expectation in this vineyard. We are growing something. It's not just flat nothingness. It's fruit appearing in our lives. Here is something rather oddly funny. There was a study a while back, I think it was back in the 70s, that said if you speak to your plants, they grow better. So are we speaking to one another? Do we talk to one another besides Sunday morning? Do we care about the fruit that is happening in our lives? Do we understand our share in the vine? Is our desire to see one another grow? Not just sitting next to each other every Sunday, not going, oh, we're in a new room, we're in a new building, who knows? No, actually caring for one another, wanting to see it. Do we say something like, hey, you know, I've, I've seen you grow in these areas of life. I've gotten to know you over the last year and a half. And the Lord is growing fruit in you. I'm happy to see the Lord growing you. That's why we should get together. Not just on Sunday, but all throughout the world, all throughout the week. Read the word of God more. Pray more. It will encourage and build us up. It will let this vineyard flourish. There are dangers of plenty. When I was writing this, I had to keep removing things because there's too much. There's too many dangers. There's too many ways to cultivate and grow. There are so many things who grew up in the church to know how do we step forward? How do we allow fruit to grow? How do we keep out the dangers of false teachers roving around like lions? How do we dig out the pernicious ideas that are attacking the roots of our faith? How do we prevent ourselves from putting up stone walls and saying, this is it. We just want to keep this safe and not thinking we need to grow. These are dangers in the church and in the vineyard. The good tenant works to prevent those and the good tenant works to flourish. Our grounding and battling these dangers in the vineyard, our grounding and preventing ourselves from being too closed off is to be placed in the word of God and to pray together. It's what got them through the dangers of the first century and it will get us through the dangers of the 21st century too. That's how we care for the vineyard. Which brings us to our second point. The good tenant listens to the owners. Listening to the owners. So after the vineyard has been planted, handed over to the tenants, the seasons passed, the supposed fruit was growing, the fruit was taken off the vine, the owner sent his servants to check on the fruit and the tenants beat them, stoned them, cast them out and eventually killed them. No interest in the words of the owner. They would rather chase them away. They would rather stop up their ears. They would rather turn violent. This is actually what the Israelite people were known for was to kill their prophets. There was a reputation around there. When a prophet of God showed up, you'd expect they're going to die. Now this may seem like an obvious and moot point, but I want to reiterate it. It's one of the most important things we can do as a people. Do we understand that the word of God is foundational for us? We do not know how important it is for us. It is the confirmation of our growth and it is the proving point to the owner of the harvest that we have come in. To ignore it, to hate it, to avoid it, to ignore anything from God is to ignore him himself. This is what Israel was doing as they killed the prophets and eventually killed Jesus Christ. They believed themselves to be inheriting the vineyard. They believed themselves to be keeping it safe from thieves, false teachers, enemies. That's what they thought they were doing. 
when actually they were killing God's servants and killing his son. Now, how does this relate to us? We don't have prophets walking around. Jesus isn't going to walk through the door and talk to us. Though I'll say this as a bit of an anecdote for this idea. As a pastor, I get a number of contacts every week, often about phone calls, emails, general contacts, about random things related to the church and the Bible. And a few months ago, I told some of you this story. One man walked in and talked to me. He handed me a piece of paper and he said, Hey, this is a very serious message. I want to talk to you about it at some point. Uh, when you read it, let me know. We'll find out. And if you want to talk to me, we should. So I put it away, didn't really think about it. Two or three days later, I picked it up and read it. The man claims he had a number of visions from God, and one that caught my eye was in 2005, Jesus Christ has been born again. And he's living in Switzerland. Now, if my math is correct, that means Jesus is currently 17 years old, and he may or may not be on TikTok. Now, why do I find this idea incorrect? Because we have the fullness of God revealed to us in his word. We don't need Jesus to walk through the door and tell us what he expects from us. We already have his word to tell us what he expects from us. We have it right here in front of us. Some of you are holding it in front of you. We only need to hear it, listen to it, and obey it. The word of God is the means by which God is speaking to us, pointing us toward the good fruit, helping us cultivate the vineyard. In the Word of God, we have all that we need for life and godliness. That's what it says. Now, I will add this caveat a little bit. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you can handle the vineyard with just you and the Word of God by yourself. We also have fellow workers sitting next to us. All who gather together to hear the Word of God, we have been blessed here in this church. We gather together as fellow workers of the vineyard. We do it to keep it safe, to bring about fruit, to let it flourish, and we hear the word of God together. We gather around at the gate to hear the word preached and proclaimed. We don't have prophets anymore, but we do have ministers of the gospel. Men who God have ch has chosen to bring the word to his workers and care for them. So part of hearing from the owner of the vineyard and being the good tenant is coming to church. To hear the word of God declared. That means giving it up, giving the church and the word of God preference over other things in life. Now this is especially hard for us in our modern era because there are a lot of things that we could be doing or that we would rather be doing than sitting around in a room listening to some guy drone on and on and on, often longer than he wants to. We may say something like, hey, you know, I'm not as bad as the wicked tenants. I'm not killing this Pastor, I'm not throwing tomatoes at him. I'm not threatening to beat him up. I just have other things to do. Other things I want to do. Other things I'm interested in. I understand a busy life. I do. I have a church plant. I have two children under four. I have a new house. And all the other things that are going on in my life. I get what a busy life is. But our lack of interest in hearing the word of God preached or taught, or even read, shows how little we are interested in the vineyard or in the owner of the vineyard. Our lack of respect for his authority through his word hits us hard. We don't believe his authority can do anything to us when we don't show up. You think, eh, it's 
It's not a big deal. That lack of interest and lack of respect for the owner and his word led the previous tenants to be cast out and destroyed. Now the same can be said for anyone who ignores the word of God today. This parable is not just a judgment on the religious leaders. It is a warning passage for all of us who may find ourselves inside the fence of the vineyard. Where do we stand as vine keepers? Are we caring for the vineyard? Are we excited to hear the word of God from the owner to us? Do we look forward to his return to show him our fruit? Do we have fruit to show him? How are you all feeling? Depressed? Overwhelmed? Completely out of sorts? Like a burden has just been placed on your shoulder? Good. Me too. What have I just done? Last 20 minutes, what have I just done? I've placed this burden on all of us. Care for the vineyard. Keep out the animals. Watch out for dangers. Prevent disease from rotting the vine. Bring out a great fruit. And be ever watchful for the word of the owner. All those things. It's a lot to place onto our shoulders. But that is the expectation of the good tenant. So, do you feel like the good tenant? Do I feel like the good tenant? No. Because I'm not describing us. I'm not describing us here. For those of you with an appreciation for the English grammar, you may ask why I called the sermon the good tenant and not a good tenant. The and a are articles to a noun. The difference is definite and indefinite. The good tenant is speaking about one particular tenant. And the good tenant is not us. It is Jesus Christ. The son who was rejected and killed and became the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the good tenant. He cares for the vineyard and he listens to the owner's words. Think about the last chapter that we've gone through in Mark. Christ cleansed the temple. He chased out the charlatans who were buying and selling. He spoke against the religious leaders. And even in this exact moment as he's telling this parable, he is judging the false keepers of the vineyard. He's caring for the vineyard. He's caring for it. He's helping lay a new foundation to help it grow. On top of all that, what does Jesus do whenever he is confronted by religious leaders, or by anyone really? He always quotes scripture. Always. He does it here in verse 10 and 11. He quotes scripture. Tell me another person who uses the word of God more than the word made flesh. Every word that comes out of him is not only a word from God, it is quoting previous words of God. Through the death of his son, we have been brought near. Jesus Christ listens to the owner. He was sent here because the owner requested him to go. This, this time here, he showed us what the good tenant looks like. When he died so we could enter into the gates of the vineyard, we find the greatness of Jesus Christ. We who are far off are brought near to God 
to the death of the Son. The gates of the vineyard have been opened wide for all of us to come, all who have faith in the Son who was killed. That's the great news about the wicked tenants. There was judgment, yes. There's a high expectation, yes, but we have one who has paved the way for us. And now, though we fail to properly care for the vineyard, though we fail to actually listen to the owner time and time again, though we seem like wicked tenants, our alignment is far closer to those false religious leaders in Israel than it is to Jesus Christ. We should align ourselves as a wicked tenant. We now stand upon the stone that the builders rejected. This quote by Jesus from Psalm 118, it's how we began our service. It's the first song that we sang. It is marvelous to our eyes. Jesus Christ, the good tenant, is the heir to the vineyard. He is the Son of God. He was the one who was killed. But through his death and resurrection, a new and better vineyard is founded. Resting on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. And now he is not only the cornerstone, but he is also the gate by which we enter. He is the vine dresser to keep watch over the vineyard. And he is also the vine itself. Growing, helping us, bringing about fruit through us, and growing us through his vineyard. Church, we have the goodness of the good tenant to rely on when we fail. When we fail to care for the vineyard, when we fail to listen to the owner, we can rely upon the foundation that we stand upon and the good tenant who leads us. What better way to learn and grow and continue on in God's vineyard than to rely upon the Son of God himself? And it was all the Lord's doing. Isn't it marvelous for us to follow? Let's pray.